This week's episode is sponsored by the Doors Open Connect app platform, designed by real estate agents for real estate agents. Are you a licensed real estate agent or broker? Download the Doors Open Connect on the Apple App Store today for free to join our growing network and community of licensed professionals and also to stand out at your next listing appointment by offering to maximize exposure to your seller's listing and even get reliable coverage on demand when you can't be there and or recruit agents under your brokerage by the new wave of lead generation software and even offer them instant paid opportunities that they could take advantage of. That's Doors Open Connect. Also, be sure to follow us at Doors Open Connect on IG and at Doors Open Connect LLC on Facebook. Also brought to you by Jed Law, attorneys at law specializing in real estate planning and business law and partnered with Heights Titled Services, LLC, delivering real solutions for real estate, both offices located in Naples and Estero, Florida. And we are back. This is Deshaun Robinson with the Doors Open Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Rick Haas. How are we doing today? Doing great, man. We, uh, we're definitely moving on along into the summer months here, even though we're still popping and, and really busy here in real estate in South Florida. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, good things, positive energy. A lot of- and I don't see it letting up down here. Supply and demand is crazy. There's no inventory, and people still want to keep moving here. It's great, man. It's um, definitely exciting to see. And I don't, you know, like you said, I don't know where it's ever, if it's ever going to stop anytime soon. So, um, I mean, it's a great, great time to be in real estate in Southwest Florida. Southwest Florida. And by the way, everybody, thank you so much for your continued support. Um, we were just mentioning before we jumped on here that uh, we're close, closing in on 4,000 downloads. We're still 10% um, in our space globally out of 2.3 plus million um, in our space with entrepreneurship and real estate in South Florida. So we're excited for that. And uh, everybody who keeps uh, showing us support and sharing and finding value in this Um uh, just recently, the last one we did, we had a gentleman that I didn't even uh, get a chance to advertise that podcast, and he had already listened to it, and he reached out um, regarding Crohn's disease because he yep. found a lot of value in in um, the information that you shared in My Florida Green. So and that he, was he texted me a couple of days ago and said, "I'm currently going through the process with my doctor." to get the the pain relief that I need so which is awesome so well let's dive into our next guest and we're really excited for this as well we've been uh, waiting on this for a while we have with us uh Jed from Jed Law and Jamie uh, Muslim from Heights Title um and welcome guys glad to be here thank you thank you very much for coming thank you so tell us a little bit about yourselves David how did you get to become attorney because that's not um I mean that is one of the things growing up that you know, us as kids say, you know, that we want to be something like that, an attorney, a firefighter, a doctor, you know, what, what made you get, want to become an attorney? Well, I, uh, at the university of Florida, I started off as a pre-med major and, and I have a major, uh, in, in chemistry actually. Uh, and then I got another bachelor's degree in finance. So I, after graduation, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't going to go to med school. I started in the uh, stock brokerage industry for a little while and I, and I worked for a couple big companies and I realized that's eh, not really doing it for me. So I applied to law school, and uh, I went to New England School of Law in Boston. I absolutely loved it. Real estate was my favorite course there, property law, uh, and I kind of found my passion. And I practiced in Boston for 12 years and decided to come back to Southwest Florida where I grew up. I grew up in Marco Island, and uh, that was in 2004. And uh, we started uh, Heights Title Services. Uh, My brother Gene and I own that. I started the business with a good friend of mine who I went to high school and college with, uh, Steve, and uh, we had a conglomerate, Heights Title, Heights Custom Homes, and Heights Realty. 
and uh, everybody knows what happened in 2007. Mm -hmm. And those other entities fell off, and Heights Title became uh, a mainstay for foreclosure defense uh, through Jed Law and short sale um, negotiations. And so that's what kept us alive. And here we are today, 17 years later, um, really strong. Yeah, I, I kind of got a, a similar story to that. I went to college for accounting and marketing, but I'm doing real estate, so it's going, has nothing to do with what I went to school with uh, for. Um, so, Jamie, let's talk about you for a second. How did you get started in the title business? Um, similar story. So I went to college for, I was actually a marketing major and a nutrition minor. And I came home and did none of those things. I jumped into real estate because it was 2003 and I wanted to make money. So I did that for a few years and 2007 happened. Then I went back to school for a year or two to become a reading specialist. And I taught kindergarten through 12th grade. Fast forward, I turned um, 34 and found myself a single mom with two small kids. And I couldn't make it on a teacher's salary, so title fell into my lap and I already knew real estate and then I started with you guys what was what was the reason for not getting back into real estate and going with title instead um to be honest I was going back into real estate but I mm -hmm. was with a dear friend Lance and he introduced me to a title person who is very prominent in the area and she recruited me and I loved everything about her and her company so I went for it it's a lot less of a roller coaster ride um with, with title than it is being a real estate agent. I know we're, we're all over the place screaming at MLOs, screaming at people. I know you guys have a crazy job too as well. Um, but ours is, you know, it's, it's that 24 seven where we're getting calls at 10 o'clock at night. And it's like, Oh man, I just want to sit on my couch and not move. <laughs> right. Well, and with children, it's, you know, you don't have to do this. Exactly. And exactly. I answer the calls and emails, but I don't have to go anywhere. Yeah, I was gonna say you get you get phone calls later. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I yeah. answer them, but I can do it from my house. Right, yep. right. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I mean, you know, looking at the market and the way where we're at today, I mean, what are you guys seeing out there as far as um, what what can we expect with the crystal ball and all? You know, is is the market gonna crash? Are we in that bubble again in two thousand seven, two thousand eight? I don't think it's anything like that. Uh, it's, in fact, it's much different. Uh, what I'm seeing is most of our buyers are end users. They're here to stay. They're not investors. They're not speculators. They're not you know, buying on, a, on a, a borrowed money. A lot of them are cash. Um, the lending industry has tightened up, so we don't have that stated income, no-doc loans that went into default back in the recession. Um, in fact, we have just the opposite. We have vetted people that are buying that really want to be in Southwest Florida, whether you call it a result of the pandemic, low interest rates, politics. I think it's a perfect storm and combination of all those above that are creating the market that we're experiencing now. Wow. Jamie, your take? I agree with David. Actually, we talked about this this morning. It's just uh, a lack of supply and there's a lot of demand. And as long as the builders are kind of controlling what they put out monthly, I don't see that easing up at all as far as having enough inventory for everyone that wants to be here. Absolutely. And, and David, you said you grew up in Marco, correct? Correct. So you got to see a lot of stuff change. Um, I grew up here in Naples. So when the 08 thing hit, both my parents were real estate agents. Um, and when the 08 thing hit, you know, my family was kind of freaking out like, oh boy, what's going to happen, you know, with real estate and everything. 
But we really only saw like a recession. Collier County really only saw a recession. It seemed like for five, six months and we were right back, right back in it. Right. Um, it's, it feels like there's like a waiting line to, to move to Southwest Florida, Collier County in particular, um, being the more, more favorited County over Collier and Lee. Um, do you guys see Lee County developing and becoming like Collier County? Or do you always see it kind of being more of like the lower income sort of co- uh, county? Personally, I think Lee County has a place for every every socioeconomic um, type. In other mm-hmm. words, a, a lot of people are moving to Lehigh and Cape Coral because they can afford to. Yep. You know, the price point there is less than in Collier County. So I think there's a migration north. And I think after that, it's going to be Port Charlotte and Punta Gorda and Northport and Englewood because there's still a lot of land up there. Mm-hmm. So like happened on the East Coast back in the you know 70s and 80s, it just kept moving north and moving um, west. So we're moving as far east as we can. Take a look at Corkscrew Road in Acero. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I travel every day. <laughs> <laughs> there's thousands and thousands of homes yeah. coming out of the ground. Yep. Um, so I think once we reach density, it's going to just keep moving north. I don't think it's going to stop. And I think there is a, a home for everybody in southwest Florida. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you think the prices in Lee County are going to be driven up like they are in Collier County? Or do you think that's just a Collier County bubble that we're, we're in? Well, I mean, I can personally say, because I sold my house in the last six months, it's it's definitely increased a mm-hmm. lot. Um, I think it's more controlled because you have more of your middle-class families, not your second, third homes. There is a place, like David said, for everybody. But it's I find it to be more of the working families, and that's where I was born and raised, right? Corkscrew yep. Road. I didn't go far. I'm still there. Yeah, Naples is a lot of second home, villa type of style. I mean, I, when when people at when when I have buyers ask me, oh, what what you know, I, I like I don't like the HOA type of stuff. I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find you anything in Naples because right. Naples is one big HOA. That's true. Um, might find you something in and out in the estates or if you the like beach, the soda <laughs> or the beach where it's like millions. Yeah, yep. you gotta you gotta pay to play, right? I mean, I was just in Bonita the other day, and and I lived up there at one point, but it is it's booming over there by the where the dog track used to be. It's not a dog track anymore, right? It's a I don't they can't race dogs anymore, but there's the casino. They still have the casino. The casino, yeah. And then they've got. Uh, I mean, it's all redeveloped and, and new downtown. Um, is nice. It's just. I mean, that's where I would go next. And we did a podcast with the Sweat Brothers um, out at their house, their new house, um, which is out past Wild Blue. And I've never been out that far. And and then I started looking around. I'm like, holy cow, there's houses going up here left and right. It's beautiful. There's actually like 10 new construction neighborhoods going down that whole road right now, which is why they're widening everything. I feel like I'd rather live out there than all the way out in DeSoto, Everglades. I just... Same. This is where I used to go four-wheeling. I don't feel like I should live out there. <laughs> it's close to Lazy Springs. Yep. Yeah, and you also have the uh, uh, j- the arena, um, Hertz Arena, and then you've got, uh, well, you're closer towards, if you go towards Coconut Point, then you got Miramar Outlets. I mean, uh, it's got South- the college. Southwest, right there. Fo- yeah, the, the airport. So, I mean, it's it's great location out there. 
So walk us through uh, the process right now um, with Height Style. By the way, we've been super impressed with uh, Height Style and Jed Law because it, it, it's amazing the amount of organization that you have um, from start to beginning. Um, agents that are listening to this, if you can just explain to them a little bit. And I know it's a little bit different because the market is, is kind of crazy. Before, you could come in, all cash, quick close. Now it's everything's backed up, right? Appraisals are backed up, inspections are backed up, um, everything is is kind of backed up. So, right now, what you're seeing, what is it, forty to forty five days, is what you're asking? Uh, typically, to get a closing, if you have a loan, forty five days, I would say minimum. Um, not so much because of our internal uh, bottleneck, but our our third party vendors, the the title search, the appraisal the estoppels, the lien searches are all out of our control and are taking much longer than they did in the past. So surveys and surveys. So I'm advising um, our clients to, instead of having to go back and ask for an extension, because uh, you know, right now, if a seller doesn't want to grant that extension because they can sell the property for a much higher price in just that short period of time, they might be reluctant to do that. So have the contract 45 days out from the beginning so that you don't run into that problem. Right. Yep, I just recently went under contract with um, another agent out of this office and they um, they received another offer that was matched ours perfectly. So so the other agent in this office has has a seller, I have the buyer. And the other the other offer that came in pretty much matched ours exactly except for they tried to make it a a FHA closing in 30 days. Okay. <laughs> and I, I let, I let our agent know in the office here, I said, um, I'll be honest with you. That's not going to be possible. And FHA closing in 30 days right now in this market, it's, it's, it's impossible. And I said, don't take, don't just take my word for it and just accept my offer because that's what I'm saying. Um, contact that MLO and ask them if they can really do that closing in 30 days, because that's going to be whether they accept one offer or the other and they call that MLO and the MLO is like, well, I, I, I think we could do it. And I talked to the other agent. I said, I don't, don't go off. I thinks because that's not a good thing to go off. Cause what's going to happen is they're there. I see what that other agent was doing. They were probably doing that so they can get under contract and then try to extend it at the end, which they're not doing their client a good service because if that seller decides I'm not extending, well, that agent just gambles a lot. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that's something I'm seeing a lot too, and I'm trying to now. How how do agents go about explaining that to their buyers? Like, hey, it's not it's not the title company. It's it's just everything is backed up. What what's the best way to explain that to your buyers, to where they can understand it? Because sometimes they they think title is the survey company. They think yeah. they are. So I always tell them there's about ten different companies that work on your file. Title pulls it all together, but there's a lot of people involved. Every company's backed up. Every survey company, even on a regular survey, is three, four weeks out. So I, you know, as I tell all of you, set yourself up for success, not failure. Be up front, overdo the time, look like the hero, instead of begging for forgiveness at the end, saying we desperately need another week or two. A lot of sellers, like David said, they don't want to give it to you right now mm-hmm. because they know they can put it under contract again. Keep the earnest money. So... You just have to be careful and protect your client. Absolutely. So the the steps from, let's just walk them through real quick. The, the start to end. And by the way, you have a nice program too, which is, um, is, is it Qualia? Qualia. And then you you also have the, the quote, which by the way, the 
Um, I wish I had this back in the day because one of those phone calls I kept making to Jamie on her days off was, hey, can you put together a, uh, a net sheet? I a need net, a net sheet. A net sheet, a seller's net sheet or a buyer's net sheet um, for investors. I mean, how important is, is that to have now with those the type of technology that you guys have built in place? Yeah, it's cool. And the, the, the quality, the, they notify all the parties involved, right? So when they an agent brings you they just have to send you the contract right and then from there you get it into the right um, hands yeah so every the the buyers the sellers the realtors even the lenders everyone has their own access to a file and everyone sees a different side of it only what they need to see or should have rights to see so it just keeps everything very secure with um you know the email scam wire fraud all that Going through a software like what Heights has keeps everything secure and it can't be hacked. All checks and balances. Yeah, we uh, we spend a lot of money in technology and systems. I'm a, f- a firm believer that you know people run the systems and systems run the business. So uh, we invested in Qualia and and Qualia Connect uh, to make it an experience for our customers. And there's total transparency, like Jamie said. You any one of the parties involved in the transaction can log on and see where the file is in the process. So we're not inundated with the phone calls on statuses. Um, and that's really a great feature. And it helps you to advise your clients accordingly. Right. And for the, the law portion of it, what um, exactly um, can people come bring to you and ask you for? Uh, is it just contract? residential? Is it commercial? What, what can people ask you when it comes to law things? Well, the, real the, estate? The, the questions I get most often are about the contract, um, about what happens if this certain event occurs. You know, can my buyer or seller get out of the contract? What are the obligations of the parties? Um, what's the exposure from a liability standpoint? Um, you know, there's so many different scenarios, and that's what I welcome are the phone calls from the agent saying, how do I solve this? I can't make this comment to my clients because it's legal in nature, and you have to be careful about the unlicensed practice of law. So I always encourage our realtors to contact me. Let's talk about it. I'll speak with the clients directly um, about the legal issues surrounding a transaction, whether it be everything from writing the contract to defaulting on the contract. Um, it's really an important um, topic because realtors don't always know what the contract says and what it means. So one one piece of advice, know your contract, know when to use a certain contract or addendum or amendment to solve a problem. I, uh, I typically write a lot of the amendments um, for an ongoing contract to keep it, keep it moving forward and making sure that the parties are protected. Now you started talking about the contracts, mm. so I want to dig yep. into it a little bit. Farbar Nabor. Which one do you prefer and why? Hmm. Well, being an attorney, the FAR bar contract is drafted by uh, the Florida Association of Realtors and the bar. So it has more teeth from a legal perspective. I prefer the FAR bar contract. It's got better default provisions. As you know, the neighbor contract is limited to Collier County and should be limited to Collier County. It's the only county in the state that has its own contract. Wild. And... Uh, <laughs> There yeah, you that's go what, with the Naples thing yeah, again. That's what makes Naples <laughs> a Naples bubble. <laughs> but I prefer the Farbar contract. I prefer the as-is contract for, for, for many reasons. But uh, uh, either one of the Farbar contracts, uh, I, I welcome. Now, for a buyer, which one is better, the Farbar as-is or the Farbar residential? 
Well, it depends. It depends on the property. Say you have an older property that Mm -hmm. you know is going to need repairs. Okay. The as-is contract can allow the buyer to do their inspection and get out of the contract unscathed, meaning they'll get their deposit back within the inspection period. The flip side is if I'm a buyer and I want this property and I know that the air conditioner is 20 years old and the roof's just as old or, or older, I would make, I might choose the, the, the residential improved contract so the seller would be obligated to make the repairs, at least of the defective items which are defined in the contract. And if the seller refuses to make those repairs? Well, then the buyer can terminate or they can accept the property as is. Okay, good. And so is there, is it, Nabor Farbar, is there a contract that where time of, is of the essence more in one contract versus the other? Yes, the Farbar contract, every critical date time is of the essence applies. All the way down to the acceptance date of the contract. Every date that's in the contract, time is of the essence applies, meaning mm-hmm. it must happen on that date or you're in default. Nabor contract, time is of the essence, only applies to the closing date. So any other critical date, time is of the essence, does not apply, and therefore the parties are not in default if you're late, let's say, on a deposit. Yeah. Now... That's very interesting, and I know there's been a lot of debate by that. But just so you got you folks listening out there that are in Florida, um, if you're planning on doing stuff in 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 other counties other than Collier, um, you should definitely know your far bar and get comfortable with that um, as much as possible, and do your due diligence on that. Uh, if you're going to be doing stuff in Collier, I see a lot of uh, agents that will say only you know accepting on a, um, a neighbor contract or vice versa. So um, you really need to know your contracts in and out, as Jed was saying. Now, when you're in that, when you're, when you're under contract, right, let's say you go and you view the property and everything looks great. And then you go to that final walkthrough and it looks like there's holes in the wall, like people punched holes in the wall and their structure's been destroyed. It's not been upkeeped. Now, what happens then? Well, both contracts have what they call a property maintenance requirement, meaning the property's got to be in the same condition, normal wear and tear accepted from the day it goes under contract or the effective date till the date of closing. And if it's not, you're going to escrow either 125% of the estimated cost to repair it for Farbar or 200% of the estimated cost to repair it in the neighbor contract. So there is a provision in the contract for properties that are not properly maintained during the pendency of the, of the contract. Okay. And can you, you went over something uh, the other day, um, which was fascinating to me, uh, and I think it's important that people listen to this here. Can you explain the difference between turnkey and a fully furnished? Sure. Think of turnkey as you bring your toothbrush only and you can live in the unit. You've got towels, you've got pots and pans, you've got throw rugs, you've got silverware, uh, everything you need to enjoy the, 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 the property, uh, less your personal effects. Fully furnished is just that. It's just furniture. There are no towels. There are no pots and pans. Um, you have to bring that with you. Yeah, that's that was important because I see a lot of that in a lot of the MLS descriptions, but they don't, you know, they're going to take the pots and pans even though they say turnkey. Now, when, you, when, it, when it is turnkey, do you write that on the contract or do you do a separate addendum for that? You write it in the contract and then include... An inventory. Yeah, there okay. should be an inventory list. Detailed inventory. Mm-hmm. Can you Can you just write on the inventory list everything that's seen in MLS pictures? You can. I suggest when when you do an inventory, you take a video as well. Okay. 
Um, each room, pull the drawers open, video it, or take still shots, but make sure you capture that because it's going to be hard to itemize everything in the house if it's a turnkey property. Absolutely. Now, let's say I got, I got a scenario for you. <clears throat> let's say um, the lender needs to extend the closing date. Okay, the lender's requesting. Now, is there anything in either one of the Farbar or neighbor contracts where, says, where it says the lender gets a certain amount of days if they request it? automatically or can the seller just say nope i don't care that your lender needs extra days no nope. that, that that's a good question rick yes both contracts address lender um extensions if the lender needs additional time uh, not because the borrower did not submit all the documents for underwriting but that the lender needs time for either a, an appraisal or cfpb guidelines for disclosing the cd they get up to 10 days it's written in the contract, and the seller really can't say anything about that. Um, it's automatic, ten day extension. Okay, I've got a, I've got another one. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but I, I want to touch on it um, because it seems that it's something that keeps coming up. It's coming up in my office. It's coming up, and uh, personally for me, it's it's uh, it's just it's out there right now as inventory starts to shrink and people are f figuring out what they can do uh, and can the price points they can get for their homes, tenants. So let's talk tenants for a minute. Um, what are the rights? So let's say a seller wants to, to sell their home. What do they have to legally do if, let's say, they have a lease agreement in place and maybe, let's say, it's month to month? What, what's the time frame that they have to give um, to their tenants as far as whether it's showings, um, open houses? You know, what rights do they have as, as um, homeowners um, or investors, if you will, uh, to sell their property? And then what avenues should agents navigate to make sure that they are within their legal rights? So keep in mind that a tenancy is an interest that runs with the land, okay? So if you have a written lease and the, and the expiration of that lease is past the closing date, most of the time you're going to take the property with the tenant and we're going to assign the lease to the buyer, okay? If it's a month-to-month -month tenancy with no written lease, to terminate the tenancy, you've got to give at least 15 days notice that doesn't expire if they're month-to-month -month payment so that the 15 days expires before the end of the month, okay? I always suggest giving more notice than less, right. especially today because it's even harder to find a, a rental property. So um, if you have a lease, obviously the terms of the lease govern. Um, the contracts both address existing tenants, and they require that the landlord provide a copy of the lease to the buyer so that the buyer can review the lease and the buyer can terminate the contract if they don't like the terms of the lease. Okay. Okay. Um, evictions are tough, uh, especially with the pandemic. As you know, there's a moratorium. There was. It's being lifted. Um, but uh, eviction process is going to be costly. It's going to take you at least 30 days, if not longer. Mm -hmm. um, to evict a tenant. So I always suggest be upfront with your tenant. If you're going to, if you're thinking of selling your property at some point down the road, write that in the contract that the, you know, the owner can show the property with, with notice 12 hours is the, is the statutory requirement. Okay. Okay. But again, give 24 hours, give 48 hours. Um, have a good relationship with your tenant. It's not always, it's not always that easy, but, um, properly written leases are, are very, very important. And then, so what, what is a, some, 
a way that they can legally is it a text message or do when they give them notice let's say is it a, is it a text message is it uh, an email do they have to send a certified mail it's a statutory uh, notice so there's certain language that must be in the notice for it to be effective and it has to be posted on the door we typically like to have it delivered by a process server in hand but posting it is sufficient notice okay and as far as open houses same same kind of thing. You know, we're, we're selling the home and, and uh, uh, we... Well, that notice is different. The notice I was referring to was a notice to vacate. Oh, okay. 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 A notice about an open house, um, uh, again, it's 12 hours is minimum. If the lease says 24, then the lease governs. Um, if it's silent, then it's at least 12 hours. But again, that's something you want to get in front of and, and discuss it with your tenant because you want to make sure that the house is at least showable. Pre presentable. Absolutely. Yeah. So what about, let's say a homeowner says, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've given them 24 hours notice. Here's a key. You can show up without the homeowner to either do a showing or do an open house or whatever. The tenant's there. They're like, I didn't receive any notice. And what are you doing inside of my house? How do they protect them? How does an agent protect themselves? from? Well, if that happens, you cannot enter the property. Okay. Um, and if it's persistent, then uh, then uh, legal action would be required because that would be a default okay. uh, under the lease provisions, provided the lease says that the, the unit can be shown okay. um, to prospective buyers. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you mentioned processors. So a lot of agents out there think that, for example, when they send their file over to Jamie, that Jamie is the processor, the closer, the whole entire thing. So could you explain um, out there to agents, especially newer agents that's listening, that when they send their their um, their contract to a title company, that there's multiple people involved in that file and it's not just one person? I can explain that. However, every title company is different, mm -hmm. so I can't give you a standard. Let's see. Let, let's Let's talk about you guys. So that's all we care about. Our model, I'm sales and marketing, as you guys know. Um, I go out there, I meet with lenders, I meet with agents. I work more on your side of the file. Our in-office staff operations, the processors, the closers, Gene, David, the attorneys, um, they work in the file. They invoice the file, they clear title, they draft documents. I'm more like the advertising and the client personality at the closing table do the events keep people happy mm -hmm. you can't have one person doing all those jobs they would never get them done so it's sectioned out which does become confusing for the agents because sometimes they don't know who to call for what but we usually try to guide them the best we can um, there's always a processor and a closer on a file so after after you you give it off to a processor what does the processor do what's their job so they invoice the file. They Well, we have Jessica, who actually is one of the agents here, too. She enters the file, and then we have the processor take over. They invoice the file, order everything, lien, survey, collect all the information, and then they clear title. So when we do a title search, it tells you, I don't know, the 7 to 12 things, however many there are, every file is different, that has to be cleared before that property can transfer to a buyer. So they work on that. And then a closer balances, does the final figures, tells how much to wire, drafts the documents, records the mortgage, records the deed. Everyone has a little job. And then um, David's wife, actually, she does the policies, which you can speak more on that because I don't ever see that side of the file. Sure. 
So after a file closes and it's funded and the documents are recorded, when they come back, uh, and by the way, we, we re record electronically, so they're recorded real time. It's, you're not waiting for uh, FedEx to get to Lee County Clerk's office. It's recorded uh, electronically. And once those recording information comes back, my, my wife Katie is the, what we call the post-closer. She's the last person that touches the file. She makes sure that everything is, is correctly done so she can issue the owner's title policy and the lender's title policy. So is it safe to say the, the closure is pretty much like the last two weeks of the, the whole thing? Last week, That's usually. Last, last week. Okay, okay. So, so usually a processor has it for about three weeks. Okay. And then the closer has it for a week or two. So in the first three weeks, agents should be contacting the processor for information. And then the last week, the closing Correct. title agent. Cool. Okay. Good. Cause that's a lot. That's, I always have agents that come up to me and they're like, man, I, you know, I just, I'm three weeks into it. And I, you know, I asked Jamie a question and, and she passed, she told me to go to the processor and I don't know what the, who the processor is and what they do. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's multiple people that's involved and it's not Jamie taking the whole file right. all the way to the finish I mean, line. <laughs> I would be a superhero if I could do that many files and that that's, many jobs. That's a lot of work. <laughs> but also back to that software that we spend a lot of money on to facilitate this information for people too, which I, I try to repeat, but you know, we have different people at different meetings, so it's not always received. Um, the Qualia connect has some sort of intro email that tells you on that file who your processor and closer is. So that software, if people are using it correctly is very useful and has mm -hmm. a lot of directions in it. Yeah, it's very easy. I've used it multiple times with you guys. Super, super easy. I love it. I, I remember telling our office manager, I was like, wow, they switched over to that. That thing is so easy to do. And if I can answer the questions, I'm always happy to, as you know, but I, I have to try to stay in my lane too so yeah. I don't do someone else's job and then they don't know that I've done their job because then yeah. that creates a mess. It's very confusing. By any chance, do you guys have any uh, a, a sort of a checklist for agents to kind of go over when they're, I mean, I guess it's kind of tough to, to say. I know some mortgage loan originators do um, uh, when, with regards to making sure that the process is seamless, like make sure there's no open permits. Um, do you have a judgment against you type of the thing or how, or how can they navigate that once they're under contract and then all of a sudden these issues start popping up? Well, title handles all of that. So that's clearing title. Yeah. With the title commitment, which I, I always talk about in my, in my training classes, is a, is a critical document. I mean, that's the one thing that the agents should request as soon as it's generated because that's the roadmap to your closing. And the B1 requirements, which are in the front of the, of the title commitment, show everything that has to be done, as Jamie alluded to, in order to convey marketable and clear title. So if you happen to see probate, if you happen to see corrective deed or something that, that's out of the ordinary, that's going to delay the closing. And that's critical that you know what that means and you can understand it and explain it to your clients. Getting back to your, your comment, Deshaun, about what you can do, most of the things that we receive in the title commitment are public record. So if you know, which you, obviously you know who the seller is, you can go into the public records and you can look to see what's pending, whether there's judgments, liens, you can go and look for an open permit, okay? Don't wait for the title company to provide that information. Be ahead of it. Mm -hmm. Do your homework ahead of time so that you know what challenges and how to ask. Because believe it or not, sellers don't always disclose everything. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, and then you find out about it later and you're like, well, why didn't you tell me that? Or they, so or they forget. Yeah. Yeah. Conveniently. Yeah. Right. So I got, I got, I got a few questions. So I have, um, not me personally, but, um, buyers, buyers, there's sometimes where buyers, um, let's say for example, they, they, we go, they go under contract and then all of a sudden they want to add another name to the title. What's the process of that for them? Because I've had them ask me, I've had them ask other agents, well, on the, on the contract, it says this name, but I want to add this person's name to it. Um, is that something you guys do after the closing that you recommend or through the process? Is that something that you do? So it depends on the situation. If you're saying that a buyer wants to add somebody on to the deed, mm-hmm. then that person needs to be on the contract as well. Okay. Okay. Because when we look at a contract, those are the buyers and the sellers that becomes the information that goes on the deed. So if they want to add somebody, it's got to be done. So by, uh, by an amendment. Okay. Can you, can you explain just for Alice's, what's the difference between an addendum and an amendment? Sure. An addendum, it, it occurs and is drafted in conjunction with the contract. So that is signed when you sign the contract. That just adds and becomes part of the contract. An amendment is something that changes an existing contract. Gotcha. So once the contract is executed, you use an amendment to change anything, whether it be the closing date, the parties, whatever it may be. Got it. So the teacher in me is going to tell you how I remember that. Addendum, add to the contract. Amendment changes it. Got it. Jamie, this is a fun one. I see you at a lot of closing tables. Uh, usually it's not me. It's, a, it's somebody else <laughs> closing. But, uh, but uh, what is a, a, a unique um, closing gift that you've seen, something that, uh, or even recommendations for agents to get that you thought um, was creative? I'll tell you what I've never seen. At a closing table, because okay. I think that's more beneficial than what I've seen. Okay. I've never seen anybody do a picture frame with a key to their house in a spot for their picture from closing, which surprises me, because I think that's something that somebody would hang on their wall, mm-hmm. you know, a picture of their closing with the first key to their house, because most people change the locks. Right. So, like, put it in a glass frame and let them have it as a memory. Like That's a great idea. I like that. I like That's that a cool. lot. Other than that, it's champagne and mimosas, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I've seen all the desserts, all the signs. Um, I can't honestly think of anything really unique that has stuck out. So, maybe that's still to be had. Okay. Do you, while we got you here, I know, uh, do you have a, is there a story at a closing table that you can remember? Like, uh, something that was crazy and you were like, I can't believe this is happening right now in the middle of a closing or um, maybe it didn't I, I close. Have, I have one. Jess Morris has a few. Um, <laughs> I was, this is years ago when we started not long after Oh four and the Cape Coral was our first office. And we were closing for what we thought was a husband and wife. Um, we got the ID. It was fake. The wife was not the wife. The wife was the girlfriend. And if it wasn't for, our receptionist who knew the wife that would have gone through as a fraudulent uh, transaction. Oh my God. So they were at the closing table and she came to me and said, that's not the wife. Um, and I had to go into the closing room and let them know that I was aware that, that what they were about to do and, and put an end to it. Oh, wow. So talk about uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Anything from you, Jamie? No. Um, I, th- the most strange things I've had are just waiting 
for documents, having to entertain people, five, six kids in the room, but the teaching background, none of that really bothers me, so... I got you. Well, I really appreciate you guys stopping by and, and dropping some, some knowledge. Um, before we uh, make our exit here, um, what's next for Jamie? Where do you see yourself? And Jed, same same with you. Well, this is my supposed to be my last stop for title. So I see myself at Heights title, actually, um, for the remainder. I mean, that's my goal. You know, I went, I had a... A rough go of my first four years of title and what most people don't know about me is it was my saving grace I had hit rock bottom in my personal life so I really feel like the person that gave me the opportunity saved me and right behind them was Josh Marzuko who gave me a bigger opportunity and all of you guys when we started out with five of us so title means a lot to me because it's how I picked myself up and moved my kids and on my kids and myself on to our next stage. But what most people don't know is I worked for a title company one time and we did not have an office for four months. And I was like <laughs> keeping it all together. I mean, I've been through everything. And um, I finally joined up with David. I knew him from our children were in the same class and a lot of my friends used him for title. And I did my research and checked his reputation, talked to him a few times. I mean, he just was like solid gold. So we merged and they stuck with me through some really hard times. I came on full time with them after my dad just passed, which he was my best friend. And that took a lot out of me. I actually can't talk about it or I would cry. Um, but they're family now. So this is where I'm staying this is my home and we just hope to grow it into a bigger family and keep servicing as many clients as we can and keeping them happy it's it's not a perfect world but we work hard real quick if somebody listening to this is thinking about getting into title let's say you were to start over in in today's market how would they what would be the first step um to get into title I would just call a title company and ask them, I mean, honestly, if they're hiring and what the different positions are. The thing with title is there's five, six, seven different positions. So depending on what your skill set is, I knew mine was in sales. I was raised by a salesman and I had been around sales and I like to talk to people. If you, you know, shove me in a room with a bunch of papers, I'll go crazy. <laughs> so you, you have to just find your niche and see how you can work it in, but Title's a dying breed. I, I would encourage more people to get into title because there's so many realtors and so many lenders. It's really hard to find a good licensed title agent. Mm -hmm. That's true. That is true. And for you, well, David? Um, well, don't let Jamie kid you. She is a superstar, okay? And she, she wears a lot of hats within our organization, and we're blessed to have her as part of the family. And, and that's what my brother and I pride ourselves on is family first. It's one of our mantras. Uh, we love to get to know the family. We love to get to know the kids. We embrace it. Um, we hire people based on their skill set, not necessarily their experience. And it's really proven well for us. Um, everybody's employed currently in the title industry. So we, we face that dilemma of finding good people. And we decided let's hire based on, on their attitude and their personality. Um, organization is key. Um, if you're going to be entitled, you have to be well organized because everything is methodical. Right. Um, so it's worked out well. We've got a great team. Uh, we currently have about 20 people in our organization, um, and we hope to grow. 
And I got one last question for you guys. This is a big one. Uh-oh. What's the biggest piece of advice you can give to either new real estate agents or real estate agents in general when it comes to being a real estate agent and working with title companies and MLOs? What's the biggest piece of advice you can give to real estate agents? For me, biggest piece of advice working with people or just biggest piece of advice? Biggest piece of advice for real estate agents getting into it and they're like, okay, what do I do now? I'm going to piggyback off something David said and then change it into something else. I, I would know the contracts. Like your, your, most of your knowledge and negotiation and winning a client can come if you know the contract. I've seen realtors negotiate so many things because they know what the contract says and the other one doesn't. There's usually two on a transaction. Um, that would be my advice there is, is learn from someone, mentor Find a mentor, shadow somebody. Um, the biggest piece of advice personally from me, from someone who 2003 to 2008 did real estate, and I made a lot of money for a few years, but I also lost everything in 2008, is to stay humble because no matter what you're seeing right now, how easy it might seem, how difficult it might seem, um, you can lose it all in a second. And that's something I encourage everyone never to forget. Yeah. Like stocks. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, um, but it really is. Yeah, Every, everybody trying to get rich overnight off of one stock and then, right. you know. But uh, um, David? Um, from my chair, and I'll, I'll reiterate what Jamie said, know your contract, know your transaction, know how to negotiate, but more importantly, communication and integrity. You know, that's your reputation. We're in a small town. The minute you do something wrong, everybody's going to know about it. Mm-hmm. So be transparent, be honest, be truthful, even if it means giving up a deal. Okay. That's important. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both again very much for stopping by. Where can people find you? How can they reach out to you? And uh, where should they send their next contract to? They should send their next contract to Heights Title. Um, but you can find us in Naples and Estero. If you go to heightstitle.com, you'll find all of our information. And what's that email they got to send that contract to? Um, well, you could send it to my email. What is that email? J-A-I-M-E at heightstitle.com. Perfect. You guys got it. <laughs> and you guys definitely got to check that out, especially with the seller's net sheet and the uh, the buyer's net sheet. That is a saving grace, especially mm-hmm. if you're working with investors and, and whatnot. And that's right on their website. You just go to get a quote. You can sign up there. And uh, all the information the same, David? Yes. Yes. Um, David at Heights Title. Simple. If you need any advice, uh, whether it be negotiating a contract or you're involved in a transaction, reach out to David at Heights Title. And there's no stupid questions, right? Correct. No. And uh, Any social media that anybody should be aware of? Um, you can follow my... I have Jamie Christina 339 on Instagram. I'm actually making a Heights Title one, but for now I'm using that. Okay. Got it. Well, again, thank you guys both very much for stopping by. We appreciate it, and uh, I'm sure our listeners will as well. And um, until next time, we'll keep the doors open so your deals stay closing. Did you find this podcast informative and helpful? If so, don't forget to show support. Subscribe, like, follow, and share. Have any feedback? Don't forget to leave a comment. Would you like to inquire about sponsorship and or more about being a guest on our podcast? Maybe you have someone in mind you'd like us to interview. Maybe you have a topic regarding real estate you'd like to learn more about. 
Find us on social media and or shoot us an email explaining who, what, why, and when at doorsopenconnect at gmail.com. And in full disclosure, the Doors Open Connect podcast is intended to bring value and be informative to our listeners and is generally an organic, unscripted, open discussion. The opinions and or experiences of our guests are not necessarily shared in their entirety by our hosts. Thank you again to all of our listeners and supporters.